0: Just give uh, the average Joe an insight of what's it like playing at this level. Friday night's
1: always been a a personal favorite of mine. You've got the the long weekend. Everyone's just wanting that release, that stimulation, just to watch a macabre sport of gladiatorial confrontation. And you you feed off that as athletes. Like you love love it, love it,
2: love it, love it, love it, love it. It's dropped kickoff time. Once again, it's 2024. I have to believe it's gonna be a good year. Um, and I'm joined by not one, not two, not three, not five, but four people on the podcast for the opening episode of the year. First of all, the trusty Nathan Williamson back by my side, back for another year of uh of the of the sport that hurts us till we love it. How are you, mate?
0: Absolutely. I can say it's a joy to be here and you know, I'm ready to get hurt again.
2: You ready to get hurt again? It's it's the truth. It's it's the truth and, and we love it to bits. I'm also joined by a man who is a really big deal. Um Josh Murphy, you're like doing a whole bunch of stuff this year, aren't you? You're doing like a couple of I mean stuff's happening out at Madawi right now at Madawi Rugby Club, but you've also you're doing a couple of other things on the side this year as well in rugby circles, aren't you?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those years where you gets to develop and expand. Uh, but there's always time for you boys and to, to weep in bed at night over the wall of his woes uh, just to <laughs> change. And hopefully, yeah, 2024 changes for me.
2: Amen, I hope so. And then lastly, he's returning to the pod for the first time in a very long time. Um, and it is for absolutely no topical reason whatsoever. It's got nothing to do with any sort of chaotic events happening down in Melbourne. Dylan is, How are you, my friend? Long time no see.
1: In a while. I think uh, the last time I appeared on the podcast, I might have set some sort of viewership record with a bit of a rant I went on, so I wonder why you had me back. Yeah,
2: no idea. There's definitely been nothing happening in Melbourne of late, so uh, we'll, no. we'll <laughs> it's uh, It's hit we'll 40 see, degrees we'll yesterday. That. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's the, the key things that happened. But we like to kick off. Uh, we're going to, we've we got a new format, new ideas for the, for the pod this year. But we're still, I mean, we're going to try and give the impression that we we you know, one of those new fresh hip pods. But really, it's the still j- same stupid jiggery fuckery and terrible edits that you're used to. But we're going to kick off with a uh, ridiculous left field topic because I love talking stupid hypothetical discussions. And um, I know Nick Hartman definitely does. So we kick off by talking about one of the first big pieces of news from the last episode was of course the rumors about Eddie Jones going to Japan were in fact true. Who'd have fucking thought? So the question hey, I asked Yeah, I know. No. Yeah, it's true. Hey, it's really true. It actually happened. So true to form, now that it has been confirmed, I want to ask you both, and Dylan, I'm gonna to throw to you first as our as our as it is nice to have you back on the show. Uh, what team would you stab your country in the back for?
1: Yeah, gee, this is a um, bit of a loaded question, isn't it? It's sort of like throwing <laughs> us. Um, I actually thought about this and went, well, given my heritage and the fact that they've never been to a World Cup, the Netherlands, to go in, you know, turn my back on Australian rugby, and I'd have to because I can't be a dual citizen. Oh, so, yeah, actually have to stab this country in the back to coach that team. So that'd be. Uh, given my heritage. My dad was born there. And they've never been to a World Cup, so if I could bring them to a World Cup, like, that'd be a pretty big feat. Nothing to do with the red light
3: district or anything? Strictly rugby?
1: <laughs> no, nah, just, just strictly rugby.
2: <laughs> yeah, amen to that. And, hey, look, it's it's a developing rugby part of the world. I mean, we were just talking about it beforehand. But, Josh, you mentioned that, like, rugby nation next door, Germany, they literally just knocked off... Who was it? Roger. Georgia. Georgia. They knocked off Georgia no. recently, which is absolutely insane. So I reckon, Dylan, you'd, you'd actually be in a pretty decent <laughs> pretty decent stead there. Get some German blood over in, in the Netherlands. Nothing terrible's happened over there with that sort of stuff.
1: No.
2: <laughs> um, Mr. Murphy. Mr. Murphy, who would you stab? Who, which place would you go
3: to? Well only, only reason being is there's some family support over there, strictly for the fact that I'd have to go to the Ponds. Um just for the fact for two reasons. One, there's family there. And two, because I'd never get on the bloody team anyway. So I've got somewhere to crash.
2: <laughs> I'm actually disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: almost brown. Controversy I'm sure boys. You. Come on. Oh. You run a new software. I'm looking for the button to kick someone off. How do I find that? Remove <laughs> from stage without doing it. This is,
2: this is like my head My headspace is I may be like a monster for stabbing my country in in the back, but I'll never stoop so low to get involved with English rugby. What is what is this?
3: I respect it. Yeah, how do you
0: go that low? Jesus. <laughs> I didn't have to
3: begin with. Have you
0: seen Australian rugby?
3: Come on. I <laughs> hmm.
0: said, I don't know what you're talking about, mate.
2: <laughs> Mr Williamson, you actually, uh, I know this is a more of a loaded question for you because you're actually on the payroll. So uh, who would you stab? Australian rugby in the back
0: four. I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm just going that low. I can't unfathomable. I'm going to New Zealand. So I oh. actually, <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out as a double agent. I'm conv- I'm convinced I'm cursed at this point. Like I haven't, as soon as I sort of started understanding the game of rugby, we started losing. We haven't been successful since I'm, I'm a cursed one here. So I'm going to go there. I'm going to just infiltrate the system they're going to start losing because losing follows me in rugby, and I come back a hero. I will stab my, my country in the back, but it'll be for a good reason. I, I will come back; it'll be just the perfect narrative, coming full circle. I'll come back a hero.
3: So you will. Don't stab us in the back. We'll send you over. No stress.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll, it'll be all
2: all expenses paid flight. We'll we'll, we'll send you over. It'll be fine. I
0: mean, you're doing it for the right reason, which yeah, I respect. My it's... heart's in a good place. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck New Zealand Rugby over. <laughs> That's all
2: it is. Impossible question. Um, I personally would just really like to go to Ireland. Not, not for any reason other than just... There seems to be a lot of Aussies over there. They seem to have transported the rugby over there. And also the Irish are just really fun to hang out with. And every single time I've gone to Ireland, I've really loved it. So it's purely just for... My just my uh, ticking things off my list and going traveling around, uh, and also because it's just nice to have to be in a country where the team's actually winning.
1: Very <laughs> satisfying. What's that? What's that like? <laughs> nice. Spanish?
2: What was that word? <laughs> winning? winning? I think it's what is this word? I think it's a. I, I heard it was like a type of cuisine from like from the Mediterranean. Winning.
1: But yeah vining. The W. With, with a V, not vine. Yes. It's Vine. But vine. All
2: right. Well, normally we like to do a whole bunch of topics. This is what we would do in the past. But instead, I am now going to introduce you to Nathan Williamson's two-minute news roundup. Nathan has two minutes. I'm actually going to time you, by the way, Nathan. I didn't tell you this before. We started oh, recording. Great. All <laughs> and, right. And I'm going to time you, and you have two minutes to round up uh, news from the past. This is going to be an especially difficult one because it's been... How many months since we last recorded an episode? So you need to nail down all of the key results within two minutes. Are you ready, Mr. Williams?
0: Oh, shit, punch prepared. I'm not going to get this in in two minutes.
2: All right. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Well, I'd like to throw you under the bus. It's, it's not like we haven't I haven't thrown you a hospital pass before.
0: So, Nathan Williamson, what is happening in the rugby world? Your time starts now. All right, let's start with Six Nations. So we had Scotland get up over Wales. We had Finn Russell Crow go full gladiator and get the win by a point. Head to head to Italy as George Ford put his Mustang in gear as the full Montiwani was enough for Italy. The start of the tournament. We had Ireland, Saint-Marseille, into the Blues as they got the win, 38-17, off the Perth pair of, pair of second-place finishes as the Australians ended up runners-up on home soil. Both Levi sisters need to work on their boot-cut tackles as they ended up both getting sent off. For ridiculous tackles that they should be better at. That's another point. Uh, Super Robbie Charles, Harry Potter, maybe his way to victory for the fourth with a double get over the Reds. You then have the Brumbies, kept on rolling, rolling, rolling like a river as they're more overpowered the Fijian Drua in the Viking Park. had Daniel Maiva cook up the Waratahs to get a double as the Rebels finally got some good news with a victory in their first trial. You have Australian friends now celebrating two Joes, one Schmidt, leaving all the fans to go, holy Schmidt and every other Schmidt joke they're about to pull next 30 seconds. Meanwhile, we have Wallaroos can't stop yapping about their coach with Joe Yap, the first female, the only female coach of an Australian women's team, Oh, a like, conduct team. Shit, I've just lost myself five or ten seconds there. Um, <laughs> Melbourne Rebels, yeah, administration, and that's, I have no shit puns, that's a really sad situation. And Super Ugly Season's about to kick off, we're the Crusaders taking on the Chiefs, and I've run out of puns in time, I think. 30 seconds
2: left. You, uh, you absolutely crushed it. Well done. I'm uh, vibing... Blabbing the effort, not gonna lie. Um, note yourself. I'm gonna give you much less time for the next uh, for the next round up.
0: Cleaned up way too quickly.
2: Give me 80 so seconds. We're out there.
1: Just realised how long two minutes actually is.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyone that's listening to that is probably thinking that's about 10 or 15 minutes at <laughs> that
1: <Hard> point. <laughs> <Hell>. <laughs> so it's always like when you're giving a uni presentation or speech, and like, you've got two minutes, and you go, "Fuck, two minutes. How am I gonna fit this all in there?" And you get up there and you go. It's ninety seconds. I finished. Do I? Do I get off? Do I? Stay, get, do I what do I say? Because you always think it's like too long, but it's not.
0: I, I so so many enough. puns written. I'm like, all right. I think this is going to get me to two minutes. Make me three minutes, and I just race through I'm Like, oh, up. Well, fuck it, that'll do. We'll uh, we'll make sure for future
2: for future iterations of uh, of Nathan's news roundup that we make that we make it much much more tight for you to actually smash through the, through those results
1: is one it's done on to the next one
0: i have six or seven ready to go of, i'm I'm, this. I'm gonna burn through them all this year i, I vibe it but, but part of me also is like it, 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 another part of me was like
2: thinking like god dang it he would be so sick of this bullshit like all the harry potter references he would be so sick of it and then like in the news I, I wanted to just resist the urge when like looking at the new like watching the trial on Saturday and being like oh yeah let's say a magical pun about Harry Potter because I'm like oh, no I, do I do I stu- do I go that easy option do I go the easy way out or do I come up with something else keep the puns coming though this always is Australian Nick,
1: you take the easy option
2: <laughs> <laughs> that certainly hasn't that certainly hasn't ended badly for us at all. Well, we're going to talk about two main topics of discussion that we'll kind of dive into in a little bit more detail. Um, Joe Yap has was announced way earlier last year, so it's been quite established that that she's ready to go and read a rock. But it has only been, you know, probably a few weeks since the announcement of Joe Schmidt as coach of the Wallabies. So with that in mind, let us raise a midi for Schmidt and hope he's not too shitty. And let's talk about Joe Schmidt. And and the first key question that I kind of want us to ask here is essentially, is he the right bloke? Uh, for the Wallabies, and what do we consider success with Schmidt as coach, and then the fact that he's only signed on for two years, I'm assuming, Nathan, you probably would have more more, you know, clarity as to the exact reason behind that, but let's talk about Joe Schmidt. And Mr Murphy, you are a fellow coach. You are a coach definitely on the same level as him.
3: You're a very big deal. Uh, thoughts on Joe Schmidt initially? me what do you think well i had to give him a chance first that's why i didn't apply for the role myself um i thought better someone else that we really want to commit to the to the country in, in the rugby world no look i think it's a good a good standing point for us to get a platform i think there hasn't been a real platform we've been just going in every which direction and because we've been doing that you know the highs and lows of eddie the you know the bullshit with the players everything else happening in the world that we live in I think it's really good the fact that he's quiet and people are just not going to know that he's there. And I think that's going to be a bonus for Australian rugby where he can just go on and get on with his business. And while he's getting on with that, other people are going to be fronting the media. Other people are going to be doing the work for him. And that's where I'm hoping the results will come from and the players will bind at the coach. Because right now, the players haven't bought into coaches for the last few years. And it's about time that we realise that we've got something in front of us. And uh, hopefully, yeah. I won't be uh, weeping tears of sorrow into my pillows.
0: It's strange, rugby right? we, we always will be in some some perspective. It's <laughs> it is like I know that it it,
2: it just feels like there is been tears of weeping and sorrow for the last couple of years, but I liked this call. Um I really did. And I and I but part of me was initially thinking maybe it's um initial optimism because of the fact that finally we have an answer to the question of who's gonna, who's going to actually take on the role, what is this future the future of the wall that he's going to look like. I mean, his record in Ireland is really good, excellent in fact. Uh, he brought he came back to New Zealand, turned things around really, really well, um, particularly for Ian Foster after that, that, uh, that series against the Irish, uh, which the New Zealanders I still don't think have actually forgiven Ireland for. Um, even though they knocked them out of a quarterfinal, I still think they'll hate them forever, pretty much. Um, but there is a lot to like uh, about this this call, um, Dylan. What what are your thoughts here? Where do you, where do you think? What do you actually think success, for example, looks like? If you are you know an average Aussie pundit like us, and we look at this selection and we go, okay, he's got to get ready for like you know a series against. You know, against Wales coming up. I think there's a, a test match with Georgia as well. What do we What do we think? What do, What do we consider success for 2024 with Joe?
1: Um, I'd probably say a positive win to loss ratio, which we haven't had. I don't remember the last time we had one. I'm not saying win every game, but I think we we kind of got to. By the last few years, we've been really just accepting of those narrow losses. Are oh, we almost beat the All Blacks? Are oh, we almost beat South Africa? And it's just really not doing anything because we're just coming up with excuses. It's more put kicking the can down the road. Um, I'm excited for Joe Schmidt. I think that he's the kind of guy we need. I know that you and I sort of got into a bit of Twitter or act or whatever it's called now because, you know, there's everyone calling for an Australian coach. Well, we don't have a really good Australian coach. And uh, Joe Schmidt is a kind of guy. Sorry, Josh. Sorry, right, mate. I got sent. Everyone, everyone I knew sent me that job ad too. And they're like, if you can coach (laughs) third grade in Melbourne, you can coach the Wallis. And I went practically the same thing. It's, you know, babysitting egos. (laughs) Um, No, I love my players. I'm just taking the piss. Um, No, I think it's actually a really good thing. And I think the one thing that people aren't talking about with Joe Schmidt coming in is also that he's coming back with David Nusifora. And that's been a very strong combination that they've with the irish be i couldn't tell you how long they worked together but it was a very successful pairing and i think that's what we also need
2: it's interesting that like les kiss who worked with joe schmidt a lot um under under the island like when he was over in ireland kind of basically said that you know he'll cut through the crap Um, A little bit, which I I kind of want to ask the the two coaches' opinions on here because, I mean, one of the key things that you can do is you can talk, you can come up with a brilliant, genius game plan, but actually translating it over to the players and getting buy-in from them is another thing entirely. By the sounds of it, one one of the strengths that he actually has is an ability to be like, you know what? Here's the key things. Here's the key shit that you need to focus on. Focus on that and focus on these things here and then everything else in this plan will fall into place. Is that like? Do you reckon? Do you reckon we've maybe probably had a situation? Dare I say it, where we've had too many talkers and too many people keep coming up with crazy ideas and plans and over-explaining shit, and then you'll have a coach. They'll be like, "No, nah, this is how you do
3: it. Do it like this." But he's got a track record, right? It's something that we haven't had for a while, where a coach has got a decent track record that we're you know paying for. So now we're in a situation where there's there's automatic buy-in. If you look at that and see success, the players should have buy-in. And he's a quiet leader. He's adamant that he's boring. And I hope that is truly the case because if I have another animated Australian coach, God knows what happens. It might just become another American school shooting. Like, it's just terrible, right? Like, just, just pull it back, right? Disclaimer, it was a joke for anyone that's offended. But still, it's one of those things, right? It's... I think that you'll quietly leave the team, and we'll be able to
1: jump forward from that. I do think we've had a lot of you know, these big talkers—the uh, us versus the world sort of style—which works for some. And as, when you coach players, everyone's got a different style they like. Um, you know, I'm sure mine and Josh's style could be very different to each other. Yeah, I think the rah rah of Eddie Jones and the aggression and of like Michael Checker—they work for a little bit, but they don't work forever. You know, in the same way that if you listen to interviews with guys that played under Eddie back in the early 2000s, they'll talk about him being the very aggressive, yell, swear, abusive coach. That doesn't work anymore. You can't do that with players. And But I think he still had a lot of that. So I think someone like Joe Schmidt being boring, being quiet is probably a nice change of pace. And, yeah, as Josh said, he's got a winning record. That's that's could be enough to get these guys to... Uh, Dubai. Nathan, here's
2: a question though. There's there was kind of one asterisk about about Schmidt's appointment, and that was that he's only contracted currently until the uh, the end uh, of 2025. So, the realistically, after the Lions series, um, and obviously there are multiple factors in there as well. I mean, not not for the least of which personal ones uh, involving his son um, as well. Um, but it is. I'm curious about this, it's kind of talk this through the the, the kind of modus operandi of, of going with a shorter, a much shorter contract, particularly after we'd just come off Eddie Jones being signed on for five years only to leave after one.
0: Well, I think that's part of the reason right there is, you know, you don't want to get burned in the same way that you got burnt the last time. Like, you know, and also, as you mentioned, you know, some with epilepsy, that's obviously going to sort of take up a lot of time away from the rugby field and you can't really commit long term, when you've got, you know, a responsibility like that, which is going to take up a lot of time and is sort of often in a sort of state of change and and flux, unfortunately, the situation with that that condition. Um, Look, it sort of sets up like, when when, I was at his first press conference and it sets up like he's essentially just, he's there to build the innings. He's there to kind of build the foundations for an Australian coach to take over from 2025, whether that be a Stephen Larkham after he gets you know, a couple more years under his belt at the Brumbies, a Dan McKellar when he comes back from Leicester, you know, a Les Kiss. It just sort of, that's what, and like, it's if the job is still to be done, he will stay on for two years. Like, he made that clear as well. This isn't a cut and dry, I'm only here for two years that I'm out type deal. Like, he will, if he feels like there's still more work to do, he will stay on to the World Cup. You know, if the situation changes, he will stay on to the World Cup. But it did seem like this is just sort of, Instead of throwing someone to the wolves or throwing a coach that just might not be sort of the right person to solidify with a really sort of fragile—I don't want to say fragile—but like after a year we've had, it's just a tense time where you've got to build confidence and you've got to sort of take those first two or three steps, which an experienced coach can do. I think this is sort of why they have brought him in. You know, where you know it's this isn't looking for the sort of. You know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. This is kind of the drive to that. Before we can actually sort of set up that, hopefully, this golden decade, as everyone calls it.
2: Well, it's, it feels weird calling it the golden decade now. I've stopped calling it that because we're already halfway through it, and far, currently, it's a shit show. Uh, but I, I, I was going to ask the question of, of, of you know, in that case, who do you think is? I, I think Schmidt would probably want to try and bring on a lot of assist, Australian assistance, essentially. Yeah. To, to kind of look for that that next person, that next com- uh, you know pl- coach that can come through the ranks and, and grow under him, and kind of set some sort of you know a plan in place for for future success. And I love the fact, Dylan, you literally put it in, the com- in the in the comment section. What about Kevin Foot? Um, <laughs> of course, get him in immediately. Well, uh,
1: before we jump down that rabbit hole, Nick, uh, um, of what's happening down in my home city, I just want to add. I think if there is going to be a succession plan, it would be really good if they actually looked at what the Demons did in the AFL because they were a shit show for a long time. And then they brought in Paul Ruse, you know, premiership winning coach with the Swans to really steer the ship. But he only signed a short-term contract with a plan of finding a succession and training them. So when they found Simon Goodwin, Goodwin worked on Ruse for at least a year, maybe two, before he took the reins. And then the Demons won a premiership. So that's what it needs to be. It can't just be this chop change because, yeah, there's no there's no security for players. Players then don't know who they're playing for, what their standards are. Um, yeah, if Schmidt comes in and he's got this old school, quiet, um, stoic style, and then you bring in a high-profile, big mouth character, it's not going to work. Um, so there needs to be, you know, if you wanted to call it the Golden Decade, it needs to have 10 years of planning and successions, which, again, I know Australian rugby is not known for thinking beyond 10 days, but that's what we need to be thinking about. And I think just where I think Joe Schmidt is the right guy, we just need to make sure that those succession plans are being talked about now so that if it is, my God, I hope it's not Steve Larkin, but if, if it is Steve Larkin, he leaves the Brumbies next year, doesn't do two jobs, leave the Brumbies to work under as the assistant coach of Joe Schmidt to then take over. Or, you know, if it's Dan McKellar, then he comes back and yeah, doesn't work two jobs. Does the one learns, grows, and then takes it over.
0: I just, on that path, I just, just throw up an option. And I, again, I love the analogy. And I reckon that that's the name I didn't throw up there that I reckon could be going down this path. The guy by the name of Jason Gilmore. Yeah. He's taken on more response. He's assistant at the Waratahs. Um, Australia A coach, Junior Welby's coach when they went to France, and I went went to think Argentina went down to France by a point. Um, Long rumored if they if they get rid of Darren Coleman this year, he would probably take over. But say Waratahs bounce back, I think he'd be the perfect option for that. Just to kind of learn under Schmidt, maybe still do that Australia A coaching on the side if there's no sort of clashes or something like that, and all of a sudden take over for 2025. Like he's a and. Travel reports gets along really well with the players, has a great rugby mind, and I think he, he could be the got that guy if you want to really sort of issue in that succession plan and without sort of minimal disturbance to super rugby clubs and what Dan McKell is doing in Leicester.
3: I agree with that. But the other part is is I think there's just more opportunity for Australian coaches to learn under Schmidt. But there's so much more opportunity where we could have an extended coaching squad to go in and learn and do development for that level of rugby, for that succession plan. So that it's not just, you know, the board or a handful of people that are bought into this. There is a coaching platform set that everyone's on the same wavelength that we're building and growing to. And we haven't had that growth. It's been, you know, as Dylan said, they don't look past 10 days. It's simply just get in first in best dress, pay what we can and get someone to sign and do the job, even if the job's shit. And, you know, I I just don't think that that's going to be a problem for Joe Schmidt. I think what he's going to have as a problem is going to be too many other people telling him what to do. I think we need to pull back that and allow him to work his operation so we can see his results. No more, you know, no more implementation from anywhere else, just him and his results alone.
2: Would we argue then that probably coaching's been, like, a top three issue in Australian rugby then which off the back of this because I mean there's a lot of good coaches that are that are out and about like who are still coming through the ranks I mean we had Dan McKellar who did very well at the Brumbies um Larkham has done well at the Brumbies even though I know Dylan you're not as keen on him being in the Wallaby setup which I actually want to poke you a little bit more about but uh even someone who you know for example like Simon Cron who Worked under Steve Hansen over in uh, over in, in Japan and already looks a much more mature coach even though he's only done a year or so at the force. So there is and even you know coaches who are currently still out there in the ether and available. Like the first one that comes to mind is Andy Friend, uh, who also has been in the island system for quite a while. Um, he's coaching the 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 uh, the like I mean all of the Super Rugby sites have, have still looked like, oh, yeah, this, oh, this they, they, there's potential there, but it's potential that it's just not quite being reached. Is coaching one major factor That's in
3: room. that? Mm. Absolutely. Coaching is a problem. Like we, we don't set the bar high enough for coaches and we don't train coaches enough and in, in, give them opportunities to learn, you know, to get mentors when you're doing your Level 2 rugby. You know, it's, it's a given. You should be getting that, right? I think that's the case, Dylan. Uh, oh, but yeah, you know, like, like it, it's something. <laughs> but like, it's really hard. Like, you look at what people are trying to, you know, in club land, you don't get coaches. Like, in club land, you're a coach, you do the work you can, and hopefully you find an assistant in growth. And then you get an opportunity somewhere else where someone takes you under the wing. So you learn from them to take on their position when they go higher or they leave. And it's one of those things it's that transition period. But at the very top of, you know, Australian rugby coaching, it's not there. There is, and hopefully, as I said, there's an extended training, like coaching the coaches where we just learn and develop that that whole process for us.
2: Well, hey, look, I think if, if you're going to do, if you've got someone who's got the brains and the capabilities and the success that Schmidt has, milk it for as much as you can. Get get a full Schmitty out of it. That's all you can. You need a full midi, and you need a full Schmitty. I pray to God we don't fucking butcher this. Let's not butcher this one, please. <laughs> let's not have. Let's not look look back and go and and let's not have another Dave Rennie and be like, what could have been, what could have been if we didn't sack the poor bugger. Let's move on to the final topic of the of the uh, of the evening, and that is what's going on down in Melbourne, which is of course the news that kind of came out. It's been kind of building for the last month or so that effectively the Melbourne rebels were up to $10 million in debt. The number keeps changing, uh, which was basically reported in the Australian financial review at first, but it, it then culminated further than that with, uh, you know, a lot of the leadership group of the, of the rebels saying, you know, kind of dismissing it and saying that the, the rebels are in a good position. And then lo and behold, they go into fin- into voluntary administration uh, a few weeks back. Um, and, it's been bloody quiet from them addressing that sort of front. There's uh, Because there's even been the likes of the, the chairman recently departed as well, and we didn't hear a peep from them. It's mostly been just pre-season and talks like that. Uh, Dylan, the last time we had you on, it was also ranting about the Melbourne Rebels, and I don't want you to think that, that we only want to invite you on the show uh, when we have something negative to say about Victorian rugby. Um, because, but what, what's going on here? What? Where do you sit as someone sitting in Melbourne, someone who has followed the Rebels for a while? What's the headspace?
1: Well, if I don't mind being the guy that you call on for a Rebels rant, because it's better to do one thing really good than to do a whole bunch of things shit. Um, it, it's bizarre, to be honest, because as you said, like it got announced in the review in the Australian Financial Review. That's where I read about it and went, what? What's going on? What's a voluntary minute? Why? And then you're right. That numbers changed. I think at first I saw it was four million, then six million, then nine million. Now, now last week it said ten million. And you sort of go. No one at this organisation has come out and said, "Hey, this isn't happening," or "Yes, it's happening," and we're really grateful for the support from Rugby Australia. It's just it's silence. I think there was a, there's been a couple of social media posts about pre season that have a little bit of a cheeky jab about. Still in the fight, or family, or something like that, giggled out the other day. But you know, this it's like the Eddie Jones going to Japan. Like, oh, I'm not having currently in talks with them, like, properly denounce it, come out and make a statement. Otherwise, people run their own narratives. And I think that's what's happening initially. Well, that's what initially what I thought was happening because they're not addressing it. It doesn't feel like there is anything to say or do. Like,
2: my inner inner social media person, because It says like you're either doing doing it for two reasons. One that they're, you know, there's actually nothing to it. It's been over-exaggerated and they're just hoping it goes away once the season kind of comes around. Um, And they're hoping that they can just limp to the finish line and get there. Um, Then they'll be right. That's one side of it. The other side is that there's a, there's a roaring bonfire, uh, going on and they don't know exactly how they're going to address it and speak about it openly uh, on, a, on a social media platform and communicate it to the Victorian rugby public um, and they're deliberately taking their time with it.
1: Well, I think, though, you can still take your time and confirm, like, if, if it's not true, for argument's sake that it's not true, come out and go, oh, These the story published in the Australian Financial Review Is false is categorically false we are denying all of it and we will not speak on this again we're focused on the 2024 season let that be the end of it but because they don't address it it runs and if it is true come out and say look yes the club is not in the best financial spot we're not sure what's happening but we are working towards it we've been in contact with rugby uh, rugby australia and others, uh, we're looking for other sponsors, and our player welfare is our priority. So please respect the players' privacy, and that's the last comment we're going to make. And I know people, uh, you know, journo's like Nathan will like to sit in that press conference and press and want every answer under the sun. But you don't have to pretend like it's not a problem. If it's not a problem, say it's not a problem and move on. If it is a problem, us as fans can go. All right, we know that there's something going on, but. All I'm seeing online is yeah, these, these articles talking about why the rebels should be cut from super rugby and a bunch of people jeering. And it's like, well, I'm not even gonna come I can't can't come to their defense on, on that because I don't even know what's happening as a fan. And that feels pretty disrespectful to fans and your city and the people that did get behind you in this little problem last time.
2: Quite honest question here. How do you feel about the rebels? And I was and I know that you know, you and I have spoken about this a couple of times. You know, leading up to to us recording and stuff, and you know, you, you, we have different thoughts, feelings, opinions on how the rebels sit right now, and that's and I'm using that as in a you know in a blanket term deliberately. Um, where does Melbourne sit right now? Both you know, not just in terms of the, of the not r- removing the financial situation right now. Uh, been around for 13 years, still haven't made a finals berth, probably got one of the most exciting rosters that they've had ever, but at the same time, it feels like they've had an exciting rosters for years now Um, and they still haven't achieved results. Where does Melbourne sit for Victorian rugby fans, or at least for you?
1: I won a member for 10 years and then... I just, I can't do this anymore. Like, it's it's not worth it. I'd be sad if they got cut, to be honest. I don't think, I've, I was never one of those people that believed Australian rugby needed to grow through cutting a team. But at some point, the this coaching group needs to take a look at themselves. None of these guys really have an impact on Victorian rugby. None of them are really Victorian guys. In the same way that you know the women's rebels is different. Like the vast majority of those girls, and I don't know the number come out of the Roth Cup, come out of the the Vic State, the Vic Axe uh, Ax Women team. So you'd find that a lot of the clubs around Melbourne would care about that team because they care about those girls, they care about that their success. Most people don't know who the rebels are. Most aren't really concerned with who the rebels are. They're not coming down. To a lot of they do a lot of the kids clinics, which is great. But you know, you don't see them turn up on a Sat day to a Jewish Shield game. Um, they don't play Jewish Shield because you know, my best mate Nick Styles has seen to it that everyone goes and plays up in a two team Hospital Cup. Like all he's doing, all, all he has done there is strengthen Queensland rugby. We've he's recruited out of you know Reds rejects, or not even rejects. He's recruited Reds players. That aren't going to get much of a run in, in, into Melbourne, paying them a salary, but then they're not playing for the Rebels. They're going back playing in Queensland. So if they're not good enough to play at that level, why are we signing them? Let them play club rugby in Queensland. If the Reds really want to want to re-sign them, sign them. It doesn't feel. I feel to me that there's a disconnect. It seems surprising to read that there were three thousand people at the trial game on the weekend because they can't get three thousand people to Amy Park. The, there's no understanding of the current sporting climate in Melbourne to have the Super Round. I think it's a great idea. I think the Super Round's great. I've gone both years. But they're not doing anything different to try and bring more people in or more fans. It's just this, oh yeah, it's on. Like, this sporting capital. It's in the sporting precinct. There should be more. They, they really should have become more successful. Um, and it's something, like my old man said it, he goes... When they started, they were losing by a lot. What would have mattered if they were losing by a lot with Victorian players? Eventually, that would have continued to build this competition, build it to be stronger, and from there, yeah, they would have found inevitable success. Uh, Instead, they've gone out, they went hunting, they went looking for older players or big names. Most of them came back to bite them in the ass, and they never really changed that that structure. So, yeah, they got a really great squad, but, well, if they're not a great, they've got talented players, but they might not play well together. They might not be the right thing for the Rebels. And that's, rather than building a long-term... Again, I talked about Succession before, they haven't built a long-term Succession. And I think, just quickly going back to what I was saying about like Nick Stiles sending these guys up to Queensland, I know of guys that play Jewish that got told, if you want to get looked at for the Rebels, you need to go and play in Sydney, or you need to go and play in Queensland. So... These, these guys go going, well, no, my job's here, my family's here. I don't understand it's a sacrifice, but like that's pretty shitty to, to tell some of these guys that.
2: And also kind of seems counterproductive because if you want to play for the Melbourne Rebels, you should play your rugby in Melbourne, shouldn't you? That's, that just doesn't... Does that seem like a ridiculous thing to me? That that doesn't seem like a ridiculous thing to contend to. I mean, doing I'm I'm, tr- I'm kind of doing some research around this off the back of chats that you and I have had, and looking at even you know a lot of clubs would send players to you know a competition like the Shoot Shield or the or the you know the Hospital Cup. I mean the Brumbies do it, the Force do it, but I also do know that the Brumbies send a lot of their senior players to play in the John Dent Cup, and I know that the Force do actually send if not their Academy then also a lot of their a lot of their senior players to play in the fortescue premier grade not as many last year because they had that Toyota series with the cheetahs going on but Pasatoa still played Pryor still played um, Ollie Cummins still played um in that competition last year and the thing that surprised me like not a single one in not a single one played in the door shield last year not a single player
1: oh no was silly did
0: Honey yeah. was the only he was playing number eight.
1: Yeah, which is when you think about it, what does that do to that club get to go, oh, we have got a hundred and forty kilo number eight that is a nightmare to tackle? Great. What does that do for his rugby development in terms of becoming a better prop? What does that do for the rebels? Because again, he's not learning to be a prop. He's just pick and go off the back of a, a scrum. Like that's not. If the goal was to turn him into a number eight, send him back to clubland. But why not if he needs to learn to scrum? Get him to learn to scrum.
0: And it's one of those things as well. They, they connect. The thing which annoys me is that connection, phase. All well and good. They essentially, it's that whole West Bulldogs team is like trying to essentially turn that into the third tier, and you know, build. You know, the Gordons are through there. There's a lot of those sort of rebels boys that have ended up there. That's all well and good, but you know, there's on-field connection. And there's also off-field connection connection with your community, connection with the sort of, again, your local competition. I feel like they just, again, I never seem to be a connection there. When you have guys like, you know, Monty Iwani coming back, who's you know, Melbourne born and bred. Was he playing? He wasn't playing Jurisdhield in me. There's like five or six Melbourne born players in the squad. There are more Melbourne born players squad or more Melbourne born wallabies that I think went to France than the storm have created for, for in the NRL. Like, there are genuine Melbourne hopes coming out of that. That's what disappoints me the most, is there are legitimate Melbourne guys to celebrate that should be sort of, as I said, playing for those clubs regularly if they're not in Wallaby camp or doing any of that sort of stuff. Yep, they're just not. Or they are, they're playing number 8 and not exactly it's probably trading the comp with the respect it deserves.
2: Josh, what do you think about this? Because I, I have one more question I want to poke Dylan with on this before you know we kind of talk further on this topic. What do you think about this situation and the situation down in
3: Melbourne? It's one of those things, right? It's either true or it's false or it's part thereof. We're going to find out in the end. As you guys have already, uh, you know, heard from me and Dylan, you haven't heard this yet, I don't believe. uh, But, you know, my left field solution is we get Twiggy, he buys out the Rebels. We have a monopoly then for Twiggy on top of all of the rugby in Australia so that it surely takes over we're funded, and grassroots becomes an actual like priority in the clubs. And the sad truth is, is that grassroots and development in in Melbourne is not a priority, and that needs to change. Uh, and I think you know that shows the commitment for sponsorship, for money, for support locally. You know, it's it's not there, and it's not there because it's not grassroots. It's not you know woven into the creation of local clubs, and it needs to be.
1: I actually really like that because I don't know. I didn't. I don't know if Twig, that's what Twig is interested in, but yeah, like privately funding it—that would be that'd be the way to go. And yeah, hundred percent, it needs to go into grassroots because. But I always think people say it's grassroots, grassroots, and to me that is these teams in Melbourne. That isn't feeding the top tier. You know, the, the top winning teams in Shoot Shield. It's like the rich get rich doesn't help. You know, what is it they say? The the rising tide raises all ships. Well, that's not the case because our weakest link, and if we keep trying to strengthen the back end of the chain, that chain's eventually going to break. And I think if the Rebels leave Melbourne, rugby in Victoria will continue. There's been these te- these there are these teams have existed long before the Rebels, and they'll probably continue to exist long after the Rebels. But it will change the dynamic and how people view Australian rugby. It'll change the desire to bring Wallabies games. They've been a hell of a lot more frequent since the Rebels started. And before them. So that will change. And yeah, it will change the number of players recruited out of Melbourne, guys like um, Leota or even Walisi. Yeah, that'd be really sad.
2: it's It's kind of sad that you kind of answered one of the the, the last question I was going to ask you in in part because the, the feeling that I had was, yeah, if the rebels departed, it doesn't feel like anything would change in terms of how the comp would run, the quality of the cop, sh- everything around it. Um, based on you know on what you're telling me but the last question thing i wanted to ask you about is obviously they're they're building on like the idea has obviously been that if we make it this side a competitive successful side that gets wins and gets results hopefully that drives the audience to to watch um, and hopefully leads to success i think that's kind of the the approach that they've tried to take that has not panned out What happens if this Rebels team, for example, does really well this year? What happens if they make finals? What happens if they actually perform? Is that enough to warrant them continuing and to galvanise the Victorian rugby community to say, hey, we should get behind this side?
1: Well, winning fixes everything. If you think back to 2022, everyone in New Zealand... Were, had, were sharpening their pitchforks at Ian Fo- um, Foster. You know, they they wanted him gone. And the All Blacks won and made a World Cup final, and he did a fantastic that year. And they had a really successful 2023, you know, shy of not winning the World Cup final. So, but winning changed that because at the end, no one was calling for his head. Like, he's not the reason they lost that World Cup final. So I think that um, if... The rebels were to win, to go on this great winning streak, to be successful, make finals, be a contender. Maybe not win the final, but, you know. Maybe not win um, the premiership, but actually put in a good fight. Yeah, it could would be because people will start to go, oh, it's worth my time going out to watch them. Um, so yeah, winning winning changes everything. Uh, will it be enough to save them? I don't know. Depends on if it's actually ten million dollars. Yeah, that's a dangerous number.
2: It is true. Well, we'll finish off with some quiet little housekeeping uh, news and ideas and things. First of all, uh, in light of us talking about Clubland, uh, Mr. Murphy and myself are going to start a little series um, over the course of this year, focusing around talking to folks in Clubland. We, the idea essentially is that you know we want to sit here from clubs. It doesn't matter where you are in Australia. We'd be interested to hear from you. Talk about your experiences with the game. Talk about your feelings towards the game, even the state of how things are being run at the moment. We just often there is all the talk of grassroots and grassroots and getting out to grassroots, which Dylan alluded to. But I think it's time we ask the question: What does that look like? Josh, you and I have spoken about this quite a bit, enjoying a beer down at Madawi on Friday night after Murrayweather drops by to play a game or, or equivalent. You feel pretty much the same, don't you?
3: Absolutely, I think it's it's. It's a good plug from grassroots clubs to tell us what they think grassroots is and what they also need. And we want to hear that. We want to hear both sides. We want us to hear how your club's going, what your thoughts are on ARU, what your thoughts are on the local clubs, you know, even the competition you're a part of. I've, I've had the privilege to have travelled quite around Australia and be part of clubs in lots of areas, including in Alice Springs with the Dingo Cubs. Like we want you guys to, you know, to plug yourselves and come in here and, and give us your views and thoughts and something that we might then be able to expand on and who, who knows, create a community basis um, that, that might kick the arse of Aiu and get you some more support as well.
2: <laughs> so if you're interested in having a chat to us, coming on the pod, talking about how rugby is in your little neck of the woods, even some of the challenges your club is facing, you know, whether it be sponsors, whether it be actual numbers getting boys down to training boys or girls shoot us an email i'll drop our email into the description the dropped kickoff at gmail.com shoot us an email and uh we could tee up a time and we can have it and uh, try and chat in any way shape or form we're, we're gonna we'll probably come up with some sort of funky name for it i don't know in the clubhouse club chat over a beer probably some sort of pun on on a, on a beverage that we consume Maybe something involving the Madawi winning theme, winning song. Which, if you if you haven't heard it, go Google it. It's the best winning song in the world, in in all of rugby. Definitely disclosure statement with that, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, last poll to finish off. Trials are still continuing. Nathan alluded to it in uh, in his uh, news roundup. But there's more games happening this weekend, isn't there, Nathan? What's uh, What's coming up this weekend for fans to enjoy?
0: Absolutely, I mean we've got a couple of games coming up this weekend. The biggest, again, from a bias perspective, will be that Reds Waratahs game at Roma. I guess doubleheader with the women's game. I believe on the Friday Which, again will be both two really good clashes right there. I um, say, you know, Waratahs as I mentioned sort of went down to the Rebel, uh, Rebels over the weekend, but we'll probably bring a lot more of their star players back in. Outside of I believe Dave Parekhie might be might be out just for this one, but back for the sort of opening game. And Reds looked strong against the Force. Really, what essentially what this is going to be is two really entertaining teams just throwing the ball around, just seeing Except what Buna happens. Bale.
3: Bale. Just don't put Bunavalu back on. He did three runs for three drops. Don't do it again, please.
0: Look, the only way is up. That's all I'm going to say. Someone's, someone's got to get bet by Max Jorgensen when he scores a double. all we are got to say. Um, <laughs> but before that, if you're in Perth, go down, check out the force taking on the Brumbies. Obviously, there's no Nick White for the Brumbies to terrorise. still getting your shoulder for the fixed up, but It'll be sweet for round one. Um, yeah, both two sort of teams coming off trial wins. Force look like a real sort of exciting, almost underdog team for this year. Where they're against the Reds, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I'd, like, I'd agree with that. So again, two really good games. Um, the Reds' motorised ones on Stan. Don't know about Force game yet, but fingers crossed they get over the line. And yeah, we're only two weeks away from rugby actually starting up again in sort of Australia. So. Sort of can sort of keep ticking off the days, and we finally get there. I think February twenty third.
2: Feels weird, hey. Feels weird that it's a uh, that, it's it could, it's a new year. It's a new year. Hey? It's but I'm so wary at this point. It's it feels it always feels like a new year. It uh, it like, never never ceases to amaze.
0: It's like one of those scary moods when you kind of just like creep around the corridor and you're just waiting for something. To, something's going to jump out at you. You know it, but it's just like shit. Where's it coming from? I'm gonna get something's gonna come and trip me up here. I don't know what it is. Then we just <laughs> gotta wait for that moment where I get tripped up and we go. I knew it. Has <laughs> come the entire time.
2: Yeah, it's also probably good to mention as well. Uh, Six Nations is also underway too. Um, and I think is it we, we haven't got a bye week this weekend after the that opening week. It, it's in rounds of two, isn't it? So we've got yes, uh, so
0: Scotland and France mm-hmm. to kick off, and then we've got England Wales to be a great game, and then um, Ireland Italy to conclude.
2: Oh shit. That's a good one. I reckon That's a good weekend of footy. That, that is a good weekend of
3: footy.
2: three great games, can't complain. There'll be a lot to like in that. One, I reckon uh, should should we quickly throw in a pick for from all three of you as a, as a final send-off as to who do we think is the most likely underdog to to potentially win in the Six Nations from those three fixtures. Let's uh, let's finish off with, with a quick fire random hot take pick that'll land you definitely in hot water. So Josh, I'm going to throw you under the bus and give you the least amount of time first.
3: Yeah, sweet. All right, so I want the Messi of rugby uh, to win, definitely. So he's called it, <laughs> I've heard it, it's sticking. He's definitely uh, done some really good publicity there. I uh, definitely want Scotland to win the series this year. That That's my pick, 100%. But as it stands right now, Italy are on top of France, and I would like to see that continue. Oh, <laughs>
2: wouldn't it be... <laughs> Who 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 doesn't want Italy to win some games? It's true, Dylan. Who do we think? Are we are we in agreement there? It, it, I don't think I don't think I, I can't imagine Italy beating Ireland, but uh, this weekend. But I can see Scotland beating France.
1: Yeah, but well, I think if it's gonna be Scotland's year, this is the year they've had what looks like the least amount of change to their squad. Don't quote me on that. So that, I think if it's gonna be their year, their year it's this year. So yeah, let's get around Scotland to. Get their first Six Nations.
2: Finally, the eternal Five Nations champions. Let's—they uh, deserve a, they deserve another one. Nathan, uh, do we want to do we want to talk about that England Wales game and how much how satisfying it would be for England to 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 lose at home?
0: Oh, I'd be great, wouldn't it? Oh, so good. I'm, I'm to go the reverse though. I reckon they put thirty on Wales. What? No, you want <laughs> <laughs> hot takes. Well, like Wales were not good that first half. They were. All yeah, over the place. I think but... that the emotion of coming back and getting so close, like it's, it's a young Wales team. I don't know how bad Marcus Smith's injury is, but George Smith's looked very comfortable in that 10 jersey. I think it, it'll be sort of the exact same sort of first half. England just cruise out to a lead and Wales go, all right, cool, this is the time we come back. I'll hit the gas and i will just be flat battery. England's go, shit. And England <laughs> just cruise away with the game and, and put a score on them. Like if there's... It, Thing is, if any game England's gonna get up for, it's gonna be this in the Irish. Like this is gonna be an easier game to get up than the than the Irish. So I reckon they target it and put a put a number on them.
3: You heard it here, red back on England thirty plus.
2: Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers, gentlemen. First pod is in the can for 2024. Um, specially special thanks to Dylan for, uh, for making the journey around. Will we? Maybe we might see you on a, another pod later in the year when the Rebels are a, about to play the Grand Final and uh, beat the Crusaders in Melbourne uh, to record their first ever championship. Will we see that? <laughs> we'll see you for that one.
1: I <laughs> think I'll break okay, we'll up an expensive whiskey we'll say... if that happens.
0: <laughs> if that happens, we're saying you out of the hospital bed because one of us has a concussion or something like that. And it's really just
1: having some vivid <laughs> dreams yeah no, they brought in the tackle height you know to stop those concussions
3: that's a live podcast from the stadium hundred percent yeah we'd have to get the phone out
2: live podcast from the stadium no intro music no nothing it's just as raw as it gets Yep. well a pleasure gentlemen as always and to all of our listeners welcome to 2024 let's hope it's a nicer ride
0: We've got another week to, to get back on the horse and take that horse to the water. And you can ask that horse, you can say, hey, horsey, do you want do you want to have a drink or do you want to swim? Yeah, and it's up to that horse to then realise
2: what he wants to do in his life. So we're looking forward to, like I say, getting back on
1: that horse.
3: And are you looking forward to getting back on the horse six months since we last saw you?
1: I don't like horses. I can't ride. You've myself an advocate.